Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Unlimited listeners. Welcome back to another special episode in the Lutheran series. Uh, we are continuing our walk through uh, some just of this uh, kind of hard-hitting material that we discover in the uh, Augsburg Confession. And uh, I've got this nifty little book here on the commentaries, and so we're going to uh, start to work through some of this and uh, we're going to look at some of the articles a, a little bit more in depth. We're not going to go through all 28 articles, um, but we're going to look at the ones that sometimes can be uh, a little bit more controversial. Uh, and we'll also touch base on some of those again as we go through the formula of Concord. Uh, and, you know, we really kind of highlighted it, too, on the times that we've talked about these articles when we've walked through you know, all 28 of them. And so we've, we've got, there's a, you know, a lot of depth already, but I, I want to add a little bit more for you because again, writing and understanding, uh, <clears throat> this, this text and, uh, writing and understanding why the Lutherans wrote and did what they did, uh, helps us to be, you know, more open, uh, to it because at the end of the day, uh, most of the time, we just kind of brush off the Lutheran faith, mostly because uh, we we just don't understand it, and we we fail to comprehend what is being said by the Augsburg Confession. And we'll read it uh, in in a passing and say, "Well, that doesn't uh, align with my belief," and so I'm going to just brush it off. And and I and I've ran into some of that in some circles where they just there's not a good understanding. And truthfully, I didn't have a good understanding um, at at that point to be able to articulate or defend the confession. Um, and, and again, this isn't me really even defending the confession now. It's me just telling you what the confession says. Uh, I'm a confessional Lutheran uh, and, and I would adhere to all of this, but I'm not defending what they wrote. Um, that's not my job. That was that would be a Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon type uh, role. 
uh, there might be other Lutherans who would, you know, from the Missouri Senate, who would gladly stand in and defend uh, the the Augsburg Confession. But that's just not what we are going to be doing on the show. It's just an articulation in hopes that you will understand and appreciate uh, the Lutheran teaching. So uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, kind of surveying over some uh, articles. We're not going to, again, get into it too deep, but we're going to look at uh, a few of them more specifically. And uh, we're going to begin with uh, Article 2 with Original Sin, because that will help us to uh, build on this type of uh, uh, building blocks, if you would, that would uh, allow us to um, assert and demonstrate uh, Lutheran perspective behind sin. And then that, again, will help us to understand the Son of God, justification, and uh, the new obedience and all that kind of sort. So uh, this is what my commentary has down. Uh, it opens with this text. It says, Our churches also teach that since the fall of Adam, all men who are propagated according to the nature are born in sin. That is to say they are without fear of God, are without trust in God, and are uh, compassetic. And these diseases or vice of origin is truly sin, which even now damns and brings eternal life to those who are not born through baptism and the Holy Spirit. Our churches condemn the Pelagians and others who deny the vice of original sin and to who obscure the glory of Christ's merit and benefits by contending that man can be justified before God by his own strength and reason. Since the fall, all who are propagated according to nature are born into sin. This qualification, of course, serves to exclude Christ, who is born in a supernatural manner. Next, our precise definition of the phrase in sin is given. That is to say, two negative definitions of sin without fear of God, i.e. without acknowledging God as Lord of one's life, and without trusting God, i.e. without the complete confidence and characteristic of faith, are followed by a positive definition and are uh, concopacetic. Augustine had previously made this term uh, in connection with original sin. For the term's principal connotation, was essentially more in this latter. Here in the Uckberg Confession, as well in the Apology later, the term is used in harmony with Luther's understanding of it and covers much more than the sensual desire. It includes also a person's entire spiritual existence insofar it is not produced by fear. After this follows the second part of the Reformer's teaching. And this disease or vice of origin is truly sin. Crouched in traditional language, this phrase means that the original sin is not merely one's inexplicable fate, but also guilt, condemnation, and eternal death accompany it, therefore, as punishment. This is true even now after Christ. The last sentence restricts the punishment of those who have not been reborn in baptism, though which they received the Holy Spirit. The second section condemns the Pelagians and others who deny that that original sin is really sin, holding to that a person can be justified before God by his own strength and reason. The last connotation has catastrophic effects on how we uh, one sees Christ. And so there's, uh, we're not going to go through all of the commentary uh, in explicitly, but there's a lot of really good meat um, in this particular book. It's simply titled The Uxbrook Confession and Commentary. Um, and I, you know, again, Commentaries are are useful and helpful in articulating various aspects of doctrine or uh, books in the Bible, and so I would recommend if you're interested 
obviously pick this up and get it for a couple bucks on Amazon. But uh, I would also urge you, you know, as all things, to continue to do as your own dives and studies into the Augsburg Confession because there's just so much material out there that uh, it, it begs to be read and, and taught and learned and put into people's minds. And, and this is just one simple commentary that I'm using. It's not, again, an exhaustive study into uh, the Lutheran faith. Uh, so the most noteworthy aspect of this article is is its definition of the word sin, and that is without fear of God and without trusting in God and copacetic. This definition is new over and against the Middle Ages. Original sin cannot be described as mere def defects in certain human attributes or a lack of supernatural endowments. Rather, the human situation has been completely changed by it. In early scholasticism, we meet two different perceptions of original sin. Uh, Anselm defines it as in a purely negative manner as lacking the original righteousness to which Adam had in paradise. Uh, in this lack of or eclipse of original righteousness, Peter Lombard, on the other hand, perceives original sin as uh, copacession, which for him refers to the lower power in human Nature seeking to break free from control of reason and will. Both hold that original sin is completely removed in baptism after baptism, uh, copacession becomes the tender of sin, which in itself cannot be considered sin. While the foremost theologians of high scholasticism, for example, Alexander of Hales, uh, and then this Bonaventura and Thomas Aquinas sought to reconcile the true perceptions. Uh, and again, it goes on to uh, really dig into a lot of these uh, teachings and understandings behind why Lutherans believe uh, original sin is being born essentially without uh, fear of God and without knowledge of God. So that is how we uh, handle it. Uh, jumping towards the end here, we get to the Council of Trent in Rome. Uh, which sought to establish its teaching, it is clear that the doctrines of original sin had been treated. The decree, which is adopted in this manner, is summarized below. And we're going to read these because I think it helps to understand where the Roman Catholic Church is when we are writing this or reading through this confession, because this is, again, something that was blatantly distributed uh, in, into counter the Roman Catholic teaching. So this is what the Council of Trent decides. When Adam disobeyed God's commandment, he lost the holiness and righteousness in which he had been endowed, incurred the wrath of God, death, and captivity under the power of the devil, and was changed for the worse in body and soul. The act of some consequences for the whole human race after him. This sin transmitted to all propagation, not imitation, can be removed by the merit of Jesus Christ, our mediator, who, in whose merit we partake through baptism. Newborn in infants should also be baptized since they are two carriers of original sin, even though they have committed no sin and must be cleansed by baptism in order to partake in eternal life. Through baptismal grace, the guilt of original sin is forgiven, and everything that is the character of real sin is removed. A curse is pronounced on those who deny this by saying that sin is not removed, but merely not imputed. What remains is this copacession or tender which the Catholic Church has understood to be called sin. Not all because it truly and actually is sin in the reborn, but because it is sin that leads to sin. The Blessed Virgin, 
is also not included in what is said here about original sin. So it kind of alludes to the fact that the Roman Catholic Church believed the Mary to be sinless. Uh, they say so pretty bluntly in the uh, Council of Trent here uh, in this fifth statement that the Virgin Mary uh, was not included in their breakdown of original sin, which, again, just is like a, a blatant depiction against uh, what Scripture teaches. I mean, just is a poor misrepresentation. So, again, we've got uh, a whole lot of things uh, with the original sin, uh, and this is, again, another argument that kind of uh, roots uh, in itself to... Um, the aspect that a lot of churches don't like to uh, really dig into the concept of original sin. They don't like the idea that you have to be baptized in order to have sin washed away. Again, we're going to talk about that more in depth when we get to our baptismal episodes. Um, but they don't like to answer to that fact that infants should be baptized uh, in case they die or anything like that, they don't like those things. And so um, they try to soften or change the language from original sin to essentially say original guilt. Um, and then they'll try to say, well, uh, we're not born with original sin, but we inquire sin later in life by our living and teaching. And uh, this is a, a pretty common belief in a lot of churches even today that you know, you're not born into sin, but you uh, are influenced by the world around you to sin. And so, um, and and even still, they uh, it kind of draws a, a poor understanding of baptism because what we're trying, what the early church really focused on in this aspect is that uh, baptism will wash away all sin, and therefore you should wait to be baptized until the very last moments of your life. So you don't sin again because you won't be forgiven after that. So it was a poor misunderstanding of baptism in that framework. But we'll talk about that again in more depth. So original sin, uh, obviously one that is uh, pretty heavy hitting um, for a lot of people. But it basically is the assertion that uh, we believe in the Lutheran Church that you are born without fear of God and without the knowledge of God. And so that is what original sin is, is disbelief. Alrighty, let's move on. Uh, I, I threw this out to my patrons because I wanted their I wanted their influence and their um, clarifications on uh, what we should be discussing in today's episode. So they uh, had suggested original sin, uh, justification, and uh, the office of the preaching concerning Christ and the judgment. So we're going to look at that as well. Um, another one is free will. Uh, or new obedience. And so we're going to dig into those, um, may not get to all of them today, but we're going to look at justification for sure uh, next as we dig into this uh, topic. All right, justification. This is uh, Article 4. And uh, here's the text. It says, Our churches also teach that man cannot be justified before God by their own strength, merit, or works, but are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith when they believe that they have received unto, into favor and that their sins are forgiven on account of Christ who has died and made uh, satisfaction for our sins, the faith God imputes for righteousness in his sight, Romans 3, 4. Uh, the issue here is only 
justification before God, quorum Deo, not justification before humans, quorum hominibus. As Article 18 concedes, humans are able by free will to uh, attain a degree of civil righteousness before God. Uh, But before God, however, humans cannot be justified by their own strength. That is, with the aid of their own natural endowments, reason, and will. Original sin makes this impossible. Merits, the whole idea of merit is completely rejected. Before God, humans have no merit. Works, for the sake of completeness, works are also mentioned, even though the two previous concepts have already nullified any thought of works righteousness. Now that these things have been rejected, justification can be described, but freely. Justification is a pure gift. It happens for Christ's sake. The expression is further clarified in the following sentence, which simultaneously explains the expression through faith. Christ is the source. Faith is the way to justification. Faith's content is the conviction that sinners are forgiven for Christ's sake. The reason for justification can occur for Christ's sake is bound in the fact that his death makes satisfaction for our sins. This righteousness, which is one by faith, is imputed righteousness. Again, this is a uh, about a 10-page snap of commentary on the article of justification. We're not going to read all 10 pages, but we're going to look into it a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about it because one question was posed in my patron group, and I really want to hopefully articulate and answer this question uh, appropriately Uh, because there's a lot of confusion between doctrines of justification and sanctification and how should one, you know, uh, view either in light of the other and uh, do they, uh, how do we as a church maintain or handle these? So let's look at this commentary a little deeper. The doctrine of justification must be understood in context with Articles 2 and 3. As original sin does not mean that humanity has changed for the worse, as the Council of Trent says, but that it has torn itself apart from its creator so that now all its life's relationships are self-determined. Any talk of human ability to prepare itself for justification is pointless. It must remain freely. No judgment is made here about humans' spiritual abilities. The point of the Reformation teaching is not, as Catholic polemics often suggest, that humanity's natural powers have been so corrupted that any sort of moral achievement is impossible. Original sin is not a quantitative something which has rendered a specific measurable portion of humans' natural power unless while what is left over can only be used as grace. The point is that the very moment in which our original dependence upon God ceases, we come under the power of sin and all that we have and all that we are. This also applies to our highest powers, which in reality are the most dangerous. The characterization, uh, to characterize justification as free is to assert that just as sin is a total determination of the human being, so is righteousness. It is a renewed, the renewal of the whole person. Therefore, it must be given. One who is subject to sin can only sin. God alone can work renewal. To speak of preparation of grace, understood as human achievement, as for the reformers, nothing else than to advocate presenting one's sins to God. The atonement, therefore, must 
uh, is much more than merely the objective basis for justification. It is identical with it in the sense that righteousness, which becomes humanity's righteousness, can only be none other than Christ's righteousness. Thus, for Christ's sake, does not merely name the condition for which, uh, which must be met for justification uh, to be possible without merit for Christ's sake, designates the Christian life in its entirety, not merely the beginning of justification. As Melanchthon states in the Apology, Christ does not stop being the mediator after our renewal. He continues to say that it is only initial grace which is given us for Christ's sake, while the increase of grace is dependent on good works. Then salvation, in the final analysis, does not depend on Christ but on itself. All merit, even in the state of grace, detects from the works of Christ. Since justification is clearly God's work, it happens by faith. What this means, of course, depends completely upon what one means by faith. Article 4 says nothing about what faith consists of, only that it clings to it. In Article 20, however, we learn that justifying faith is not uh, justifying faith is faith that not merely believes the quote-unquote history, but also the quote uh, effect of history, end quote. Namely, the forgiveness of sins. What is referred to here is what Luther often calls the right application of a personal pronoun. It does me no good to believe that Christ died for sinners if I do not believe that he died for me. Even the devil has a purely historical faith. And so this article goes on, and it, again, it's, it's a con commentary on this confession, on this uh, piece, and it helps to articulate uh, the Lutheran position. Um, I mean, we could probably do whole episodes and I could just read this commentary, but uh, it would be pretty boring and dry for you, I think. But I think it, it helps us to understand uh, the Lutheran position of justification as merely the moment in time which we have become recognizing the fact that Christ died for our sins. And this is, there. I, I, I would also suggest too, based upon scripture and, and my teachings, there's uh, kind of two levels to understanding justification. There's the human aspect, and then there's the eternal aspect. Uh, we look at Ephesians chapter one, and we see that God knew us before the foundations of the earth. So if God knows us before the foundations of the earth, then that means we have been essentially justified before the foundations of the earth through the life and death of Christ, which is to come. Now, you can't say that uh, this is a definitive position. It's just something that I, I'm, I'm still kind of working out myself, and, and it's a view that uh, I, I don't often hear articulated, um, but that our justification happened in eternity's past. But the there is the concept that we are justified in our, lives in our human state as we walk this earth and justification comes in a couple of forms one it's the initial belief if we're an adult it's the initial belief that we now have in christ and it's that moment in time to which we uh, have put away the fear of god and not having any knowledge of god and have embraced what god has done for us and since as luther says I, how can i adhere or understand justification and believe that Christ died for the sinner if he didn't die for me. So justification is purely individualistic. It is for the individual Christian, one after the next. Each person has a different story, 
and a different uh, journey that they've been on with Christ. Some are well profound theologians and others have you know, only read a couple books in the Bible, but the basic essence of belief is there. And that is where we start to see the beginning and the end of justification. Justification is a one point movement. It is not a continuation of time where you will continuously be justified. You are justified in a single moment. And so in the Lutheran perspective, uh, this can also be uh, articulated in the fact that in our baptism, we are justified because we have been given faith, the washing away of sin and the renewal of our flesh. And when original sin is washed away in baptism, then our justification is given to us by God, not by the priest and not by our own doings, but through the word of God. That is the hardest hitting point in the Lutheran faith is that the uh, sacraments are not on the merit of man, but on the merit of God. It's what God is doing to us, for us, and through us. So when we dig into that, it is for us to understand you know, that justification is a one, in, one moment in time event that we stand before God uh, now no longer a sinner, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Our justification allows us to stand before God justified freely. And it is not by our own merits, not by our own doings. We've been saved by grace through faith, not by our own works. And so justification is that one moment. Sanctification, though, is a continuation of one's life. Now, there's a few ways to articulate this. And you can say, uh, when you're justified, uh, you will now go out and do good works, and that will build up your sanctification. Well, really, the argument with this is there's what's the end goal in sanctification? Are we just going to keep doing good works in hopes that we store up merit or grace or, or extra crowns or something like that in heaven? Is that the end goal? Uh, is the end goal to share the gospel with as many people as we can and, and again, to uh, obtain or achieve crowns or or possessions of sorts in heaven. I would also like to present a kind of twofold view to sanctification. And this is one that my seminary has taught me. And I also kind of uh, have looked at some other Lutheran teachings. uh, and, And I think in my mind, this to me makes the most sense. Sanctification in its concept is the understanding of one's justification where you are becoming more comfortable with the fact that you are both sinner and saint. You are going to continue to sin, but yet you are forgiven and stand righteous before God. And so part of the sanctification is this understanding of our justification and how it continuously is building in our lives day by day. Because in Lutheran faith, it's the continuously uh, daily baptism that we partake in. It's the drowning of Adam and the uh, allowing of the Holy Spirit to work through us. And so it's a continuating fight and battle each day. And so when we become more comfortable with their justification, it's easier to put that Adam to death and say, I am going to you know, be able to live righteously today. Even though you won't, you'll still sin. Uh, you can start to build those out better. But sanctification in the second aspect is the works that we do. You're not going to earn additional grace or merit. You've already been given 
all of that in your justification. You've already been determined righteous before God. So you don't have to earn anything else. You're not going to earn angel wings. You're not going to earn a halo or anything like that. Uh, you are simply doing good works for your neighbor. And, and I would also advise that as you move on in your life and you start to articulate these good works for your neighbor, you will uh, become more comfortable with doing them. They'll become easier for you to do. You'll actually get to a point where, as Matthew writes, uh, Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, that you will do good works and you will give with such a, with, with such a passion of giving that your left hand won't know what your right hand is doing. I'm paraphrasing the text, but what I'm getting at is that when you walk out that sanctification in your life, you will be doing works for all people and you won't even think about it. When somebody asks you for help, you'll jump into it and do it. When somebody needs your assistance or needs some cash or needs help moving something, their yard mowed, their house painted, whatever it is, you will find a way to make it happen. And that is just the continuating acknowledgement of our sanctification. So justification is a moment in time to which we have been declared righteous before God. Sanctification is a personal uh, walking out of that uh, and understanding of that truth that we have been justified and no longer uh, are chained to sin, death, and the devil. We have been freed from those things. And now we can live and serve our neighbor freely and continue to deliver the gospel in the manner that needs to be delivered. Uh, so that's going to wrap up the article on justification. Again, uh, more extensive studies can be done and have been done on this topic. But uh, for today's sake, we won't you know, spend all of that time on it. So uh, a little shorter of an episode, but um, I wanted to just hit these two major articles. We'll look at the next handful next week because we're not really in any hurry uh, as we work this out. But we do want to uh, I do want to be respectable of your time and get the shows in and under 30 minutes, even though some tend to go into that 35 minute mark. Uh, but that is today's show. And I hope you guys in, uh, enjoyed that. Again, it wasn't a, an extensive in-depth dive into those two articles, but I hope it starts to help to articulate some of these articles that uh, can be a little bit controversial. And uh, as we've seen that the Council of Trent already opposed strongly original sin, and uh, and then the reform camps have a different hermeneutical approach to justification and sanctification, which we'll talk about later in this series. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap it for us today. We'll be back Friday with a new episode as we uh, complete our time with the book of Proverbs. We'll look at the outline and we'll look at some uh you know, memory text, and we'll look at some important verses as we walk through that book. Uh, if you want to hear the intro that aired last Friday, please go do so before you listen to this upcoming Friday episode, and you'll be able to uh, articulate and, and kind of put everything into a little bit of a nice category. So I will be back Friday uh, after Proverbs. We're going to look at Psalms for two weeks, and then we're going to get into the book of Jonah. And that'll take us five weeks, one for an introduction and four uh, for each chapter of the book. So that rounds out this uh, coming weeks. Hope to see you guys around on social medias. Until Friday, God bless you.
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.